0: If you've been told to pull up your socks recently, then make sure it's a pair of RCR socks. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash shop.
1: You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, you can send me a text at uh, 2057. i got to stop because the other day I said 2053. Goodness knows why. Everyone growled at me. 2057. Inbox. uh, Email is inbox at realitycheck.radio. Oh, we've got our special guest. We've got our gardening guru, emeritus professor, the Honourable Wally Richards, QSO, DSM, DCO, everything after his name, PhD. Good morning, <laughs> Wally.
0: My goodness. Uh, the, the, the universities will have, you can't say all those numbers after my name. No. Uh, well,
1: uh, I, I can and I did. Hey, I've just come in. I didn't mean to, but I wandered up just to water my beech trees. Uh, some of my beech trees that I've planted out. And I ended up just pottering around my garden. And I woke up this morning, as you can sometimes do, a bit miserable about things, about the state of the world, state of my life, state of me. And just, you know. Beautiful day. Normally you could have woken up feeling brilliant, but I woke up a bit, you know, down. Goodness, I don't know how that happens. Do you know? Ten minutes in the garden, and I felt wonderful, Wally. Yep. I absolutely felt in my happy place. You know why? No.
0: Because the plants interact with you and it's interesting it's it's not something that you can detect it's kind of like t- telepathy but um, they read your emotions and they change them for the better um, because you're their uh, source of care right and they have to look after you because if they don't and you disappear, that means they're not going to get the water when they are uh, dry, and they're not going to get uh, the food when they're hungry, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, they're very concerned about your welfare. And this is Dinkum. Uh, I'm not well, pulling, pulling your Well, I believe you. Yeah.
1: I believe you. I could not. I could not. I could not believe the change in my attitude literally within ten minutes, and ended up pottering away there for forty-five minutes. And I felt so good. I felt like a young man that had, you know, gone for a ten K hard run. I just felt it I had a dolphins flying around my body, I was listening, I was singing in my heart, and my plants looked happy, I was happy, and I thought this is the most wonderful thing in the world.
0: It's very therapeutic. that's for sure. Yep, yep. And,
1: and I've learned I've learnt not to do big long spans at the garden but to do little bits like every day because then you get the benefit that good feeling and you also get um you don't get sick of it you know if i go and do a whole day in the garden i do get sick of it but i find if i do a little bit my dad used to do he had a beautiful vegetable garden and my mother had a beautiful flower garden and they'd do something in it every day except i guess in winter but they didn't spend a day in the garden and right, what now, to do.
0: the key to that is gardening should never be a chore. If it mm. is a chore, you're you're in the wrong place and you're doing the wrong thing. Yes. Because once it becomes, um oh, my God, I've got to go out and read the bloody garden and I've got to do this and mow mm. the lawns and so forth, uh, it, it's a chore. Mm. You better to hire somebody to go and do those bits, you know, mm. so that you... Um, have the pleasure. Even mowing the lawn is a pleasure because mm. at the end of the time, you finish mowing, you look at the lawn and go, "Wow, that looks much better," and, and you feel good. You're elite, uh, alive, and the grass loves to be cut. Yes. <laughs> it's one of the few plants in the world that I know of that loves to be cut because it's grown up with the aspect of uh, animals browsing it. Because most um well, not all animals, not the carnivorous ones, of course, or whatever they are, Um, but all your stock plants um, like cows, sheep, et cetera, et cetera, eat grass, right? And the Mm. grass loves it because Mm. um, every time they cut the grass, it makes the grass grow and it increases the number of leaves. That it produces because it's been cut. It's like cutting the end off a branch. You'll produce a lot mm. more branches on the bit mm. that hasn't been cut off. Right, same principle. And uh,
1: yeah, I had I had a friend visit who's very knowledgeable and very emphatic. And He said, "Rodney, you're making a mistake. Beech trees will never grow out here." You shouldn't have gone and got those 500 little beech trees and raised them in your nursery. And I got very upset. So I thought I'd do an experiment. And a month ago, I took five beech trees from my nursery, and they're in their little PB-18 pots. Mm. And I carefully, I knew not to disturb their roots, I dug a nice hole, I put year-old horse manure around them, a bit of straw, put them in. On two of them, I wrapped wire, chicken wire around and a, um, a um, windbreak, like to really protect them, and on three, I just had those little green protectors so the rabbits wouldn't Eat them, and then I put two strong stakes, one each side of them, and put a ribbon between the two to hold them up. I've carefully kept the water and the water. I notice the manure holds the water good. They're in sort of clay places. These five trees, they are doing so well, Wally. Excellent, so well. And listeners, I don't get paid for any of this. With Wally, Wally comes on on his own free will when we interview him. He's not an advertisement. That magic botanic liquid I put on those two tall beech trees that I was going to throw in my burn pile, they are growing like nothing else.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Man, so I've ordered a whole lot more botanic leg, le, liquid. I think you're a five-litre container, and I'm going yes, to do it. Yes, we see you
0: So you've got five litres coming.
1: Yeah, and uh, thank you. i got free postage, so I appreciate that. And um, I'm going to spray all my beech trees um, with a little bit because clearly it just – I could not believe the turnaround in those beech trees, Wally.
0: Right. Yep, yep. It makes a world of difference.
1: So thank you for that. Now, before we get down to business, you've got an announcement to make.
0: Yes. On um, Sunday – I, after, I've after i written a new book, put it that way, and it's called Gardening with Wally Richards. It's a composite of a lot of the articles I've written over many years, and particularly more recent ones, dealing with problems that people have got, such as grava moth, and army moth, and um, garlic rust, and curly leaf, and stone fruit, and yeah, all, all the bits and pieces. and. A particular emphasis on gardening and health because gardening and health go hand in hand and growing your own healthy food um, naturally in the garden is going to make the world a difference to your health and your family's health by miles so strong emphasis there anyway 200 page book got it finished took it to the printers and i said to the printers um what's the chance of getting this?" Uh, printed uh, by early December, and they said, oh, I don't know, how many copies you want? And I said, well, what's the problem? And they said, well, the binders, because the binders are going to be doing school books and so forth in December, and it's a matter of getting it through them. And I said, well, what say we just do a small printing of, say, 500 copies? And they said, yeah, that would be perfect. And they gave me an ETA, for the 8th of December, I go and pick up the books from the public public uh, printers and, um, and I get 500 copies. So in the weekend, I thought, right, okay, when I write my article, I'll write about the book and say, because people might like to buy one for themselves or somebody else, family member, for Christmas. And um, so I put that out with my weekly article and lo and behold i have had so many I've, I've sold over 100 books in basically 24 hours
1: my goodness
0: yeah it's incredible and, and of course the books are not going to be sent out till after the um 8th of december so the following week we'll be posting out um unsold books because the orders just keep coming in um every time i look at my email i've got another order my goodness but the beauty of it is to being the um publisher and the author and i can actually autograph every book and not only that mm. i can put in say for instance you want to give it to your wife for christmas and i can um uh, when i talk to you on the phone and take the details and get the credit card numbers, etc. I say, okay, who's the book for? Oh, it's for Mary. That's my wife. Okay. So I'll uh put a little note in there. So happy gardening, Mary, or uh Happy Christmas, Mary, uh, 2023, and sign it. Right. So well, it, it becomes very personal then.
1: Can I make my order on the phone now? Oh.
0: do it on the website please (laughs) so I get all the details because we're we're going to take about about 10 minutes of your listeners time getting all your personal details about your credit card and
1: god knows what you should have all my details by now, now when I read, when I open it up I do get a bit of a shock because you've got out here what the chapter headings are and they start off a bit negative because I never believe in pests, uh, Salad, tomato salad, potato salad, garlic rust, moths, codlin, guava, army worm, cutie leaf disease and stone fruit. And I'm thinking, oh, that sounds a bit on the negative side to start with. And then it gets on to raised gardens, uh, pollination, gardening with cardboard. And I think this is more me, magic in the garden, germinating seeds, healthy vegetables, iron versus copper. Growing food in containers, and I think now this is the good stuff. Pests, oh, I'm scared of pests. I don't want any in my garden, Wally. And but I, I imagine that it's going to happen, right? can not mm. be avoided.
0: Well, those topics like um, army worm, grava moth, etc., they are devastating gardens, particularly uh, in Auckland up north. Um, you really are probably fortunate that you're not seen those particular problems of any consequence uh yet but they will come um because with warming and so forth and movement of um, materials from one place to another the pests come along it's it's like quite often um when you go through a garden center or somewhere and you buy some seedlings there's already pests on the seedlings because They haven't been protected. They haven't been sprayed. You Mm. take them home. If you don't look for the eggs or whatever that are on the uh, seedlings, you plant them in the garden, and then you wonder where the caterpillars came from. They came out of the eggs that you bought. You bought the eggs. You brought them home. In fact, most problems you bring into your garden from outside.
1: Fascinating. So if you ever buy seedlings, have a look under the leaf.
0: Yeah, check them for the eggs or uh, bugs or anything like that. And Mm. um, if you spot them, squish them uh, and then plant out. And then they're going to be free until um, butterflies or something comes along. Now, here's an interesting thing. We're already just about into December, and I haven't seen a white butterfly this year as yet. And I've got cabbages and brassicas all over the place. No, no white butterflies. I'm I'm quite amazed because it's kind of been warm enough for them to come out, but they haven't happened
1: yet. It'd be interesting to hear from listeners. Um, if they have had, send us, drop us a note if you've seen a white butterfly 2057 text or email inbox at rallycheck.radio. Now, we are going to buy your book, listeners, and I'm going to buy your book, but I want to preview. Because you say you've got to afford, and then you've got on page 10 starting a chapter called My Journey.
0: My Journey, yes.
1: Tell me, what's your journey?
0: Okay. Um, People often in conversation over the phone and so forth, They may say to me, um, what's your qualifications? You know, you've been to Massey, you've been done courses. I said, no, my qualifications is in nature. Um, And at the back of the book, I've actually extended this out and tell a little story, which I'm not going to tell you what it is, and you can read it for yourself. It's quite personal, but it's why I believe I am doing what I'm doing, and it's comes from back when I was about twenty years old. Like I've always been an avid gardener. I love gardening, right? I, I at three years old I had my own little garden and I had my wheelbarrow, my little spade, and I'd go out. What and,
1: year was that, Wally?
0: Oh, that was um round about 76 years ago.
1: So you're so, 79. Yeah. So oh my goodness.
0: Um Yeah, I grew up in the garden um, with chickens. We had chickens and so forth. My early childhood was wonderful. Um, We had an old house in Palmerston North, which no longer exists. Um, And it was a quarter acre section, fruit trees, chickens, big veggie garden. Um, And my mum was an avid gardener, and of course, They had gone through depressions, et cetera, et cetera, and bottling, preserving, you know, all those wonderful things that we used to do way back Mm. then. We were Mm. self sufficient. The only thing we had to go out to buy was sugar and flour, everything Mm. else we had, right? Um, And it was magic. Um, And it amazes me back then. For a special treat at Christmas time or birthday, Mum would actually sacrifice one of her pullets and have roast chicken. Now roast that chicken. was luxury. luxury. That was like fantastic to have a chicken to eat, right? And that wishbone, you know, dry it out, yes. and break the wishbone, you know. Nowadays, KFC etc. etc. chickens a dime a dozen. Everybody's.
1: Yeah, my kids, my kids don't believe that in our Santa sack you'd get an orange and a banana. Yes, yes. And you'd think you're made because you had an orange and a banana. They, they just have oranges and bananas in a bowl every day of their life.
0: I, I'll tell you a quick little story. A friend of mine who's now passed on, Scottish woman, when she grew up in Scotland, at Christmas time, she was given an orange for Christmas. And she said it was the most wonderful thing. She she would hold it. She would smell it. It was a long time before she got around to eating it. But it it's was insane. such a treat to have such an orange. Treat. And that would have been, once again, 70-odd years ago.
1: Mm. Mm. It's, um, and, of course, our parents' generation, when they thought we were living in luxury. Yes. Yeah. compared to how they grew up with horses and uh, walking everywhere. Um, no sign of electricity or a motor car. Um, and here we were having those in a rudimentary form. Um, how did You like gardening at three. What happened when you were 20?
0: Okay, well, as it transpired, uh, I was in uh, the P&C, and i was a telephone technician and of course in those days promotion you went to different places to get a promotion uh, and go up the ladder uh, my first um, place was tikawiti um that i was there for a number of years and i rented a place and the first thing wherever i went and then i was into hamilton and renting a place there until I purchased a house. Um, Everywhere I went, I would be digging up the back lawn and putting it in the garden, for sure. And I've (laughs) always, I I can't live without a veggie garden. Um, And and sometimes it's not even like, I just have the pleasure of growing the vegetables and giving them away. Um, And of course, we do eat a certain amount ourselves. And they taste so good. And that's the key to the mm. whole thing. If they taste good without having to put garnishes on, etc, then they really got good nutritional value. If they are from mm. the supermarket and you uh, eat them and they are tasteless, why? Tasteless. Because they've grown too fast, too quick, and they are unfortunately full of chemicals.
1: Mm. You still haven't told me what happened. Sorry. What happened when you were 20 that got you into full-time gardening?
0: Well, I'd been gardening right through. I never stopped. Yes. Uh, I remember in Palmerston when Mum had to sell up the house, this beautiful old house we had, and we moved into a, a little house in what I would have termed a slum area of Palmerston North. It's all we could afford, and it was a, a, like the houses of Dave. It was a little house uh, on a very small section, and there was virtually no much room out the back for a small garden. That was it. So, being members of the church in those days, Methodist Church, which across the road from us, um, one of the church members um, heard that um, I was being deprived of having a garden. So he offered some of his um, garden for me to be able to go to his place and have a garden at his place and grow some veggies, in which I'd duly get on my bike and and <laughs> go about two miles to his place and use his tools and so forth and um, and plant some seeds, seedlings and so forth, and had a garden there. So it's just been part of my nature, gardening.
1: And when did you become – when did it become your business?
0: Oh, um that was kind of a hobby that got out of hand. What happened was um, I was growing um, like veggies and so forth, but I also had an interest in carnivorous plants. I had an interest in uh, house plants, etc., herbs, and so the place I was living in Palmers North, I built a um, plastic glasshouse, right, and made it out of 50 by 50 um timber and got um, plastic sheeting uh, film and put that over and i was growing plants and i was uh, propagating etc and then as a result of that i had all these plants so what do you do with it i went over it um, over the back of me was a garage so i went and saw uh, chap that owned it, who it was quite friendly with anyway. And I said, Do you mind if I put some plants on your forecourt and sell them? I said, Well sell them for a dollar each and um, you can have 50 cents, I'll have 50 cents. He said, nah go for it. And I did. From there, I actually opened a little plant shop in a place called Square Edge. Um Square Edge um was the old uh, council building which they'd given over um For small shop owners, type of thing, to um, have a little business uh, Mm. there. And so I opened a plant shop. And at the time, I was still, um, I was actually a traveling um, salesman then, which was quite an advantage. I used to go over to Napier and I'd go to Anderson's um, big nursery complex there, and I would pick up a a carload of um, houseplants and take them back to the shop um I had I became friendly with a nurseryman um whose name was um Bob wall and he was growing a lot of seedlings for um commercial growers uh, cabbages etc cetera, etc cetera, and he'd grow them in, in uh, trays of 80 plants and plug trays right and I thought this is a great idea so I got some plug trays off him and put them out in my little shop. Now, the the interest that caused with the older gardeners, because older gardeners, back in, and we're going back, I was in my 20s, so 50 years ago, they hated buying a punnet of plants because mm. they only wanted two or three to plant, mm. and they'd mm. have 20 or 30 plants, and they hated waste. Mm. And so when they could come to my shop, And they could buy one cabbage, one broccoli, one cauliflower, and then come back a a week or two later and buy another one of each. They Mm. loved it. And so, you know, for 20 cents a plant, uh, they were happy as Larry. And uh, so the shop became quite popular. I actually opened another shop. In fact, I had three little plant shops in Palmerston at one stage. And then i was able to um find a glasshouse complex in vogel street and it was a big glasshouse complex which the original china Chinese man had grown tomatoes in and he grew the best tomatoes in new zealand and he was famous for it in actual fact uh, anyway he had stopped long ago retired from that and some guys from the army had bought the land with the glasshouse on and they were trying to grow tomatoes very unsuccessfully because most of the time was over a flag and a beer rather than growing the tomatoes so um (laughs) anyway i ended up purchasing that and i also in the front of the place was three shops one was a four square one was a veggie shop and one was, I think it was a bookshop in actual fact, going back. And the people that owned the veggie shop, um, they put their lease up for sale and I bought the lease and ended up buying the whole building in the end. So I had a, uh, then a garden center complex mm. and that worked out, um, quite well. Um, we had this big glasshouse complex behind where I could grow a lot of shrubs and plants and seedlings, and once again, we, we were doing the what we call uh, flats. A flat is a wooden uh, box that's got eighty plants in, right? And to get them out, you you actually lift them out with a little um, garden fork, and so that's how we sold. So people would come in and they'd say, oh, I want two of those, five of those, or whatever. we put them actually in shoeboxes.
1: I can remember my mother doing that. I can remember my mother now buying plants, obviously not in Palmerston North, and having them wrapped in newspaper and put into a shoebox.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yep, that's how we used to do it. Um, It's an old-fashioned way of doing things, but people liked it. They could buy a whole tray and bring Mm. the tray back. Um, and we were, then I purchased, um, another glasshouse complex in Asher's, which had been used in the past for growing, I presume, tomatoes, and it was a big glasshouse complex, and then I started growing shrubs, um, and I got onto a plant propagation place where you could buy little, um, seedlings, well, they weren't seedlings, so they were little, um, small shrubs in in a little um, pot, right, and what we call grow tubes. And you buy uh, like 50 of these things and you put them into PB bags, uh, say PB3s. Had a whole automatic irrigation system there in glasshouse. And of course, these shrubs would grow very quickly. And the beauty of it, too, was there are often new varieties that Mm. weren't out on the market um, or were only just coming into the market. So we had the latest from overseas or whatever selling through the garden centre for about $5 a plant, making a lot of money at $5 a plant, where that was the wholesale price basically because other garden centers would be selling the same thing for $10 a plant. Wow. Yeah. So, we cut out the middle man Mm. sort of thing by doing it ourselves. And that's how things used to be years ago in New Zealand. You had a nurseryman, which I became a nurseryman. You know, like I was a telephone technician, I was an insurance agent, I was a salesman for an electrical company in Palmerston. um, And then I became a nurseryman. And I learned a lot growing stuff um as such and the names of them and how to grow them and so forth and one of the aspects is too that i have a sort of connection with nature and i even notice here if a plant my partner's got lots of house plants miles of them um if a plant is getting a bit dry for some reason my attention is attracted to that plant and go oh you're a bit dry i'll go and give you some water so it communicates with me, it calls me over somehow, mm. right? And um, two
1: questions, I, I... Two, que- two, two questions, Wally. This learning fascinates me because when I look back, I did a whole lot of jobs, but I just did the job that was ascribed to me, and I never learned about the industry that I was in. You know, it was just, I did my job and and kept my sort of head down. It was only much, much later in my life where I'd get working somewhere. And I, usually because I thought this is, I'm going to be doing this for a while. And I'd take the trouble to learn how everyone fitted into the business and what everyone was doing and how it all worked. But I was in my thirties when I got to that stage of learning. And I look back on it and think, oh, so I, I worked in some very interesting places where I never took the trouble, I guess I was too shy, to ask questions of people that were working around me, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's yeah. a funny thing. I was just a boy there working away, and I thought I never asked that old guy how it all fitted together. I just did my job and kept my head down. And And then you can see other people go into a, a job like you, and you learn, and you can learn such a lot. And you realize when you're older, you're more than happy to help anyone that's got a question, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You, you get a kick out of it. And I'm trying to impress upon my kids that you know there's such a lot to learn. Everything's an opportunity to learn. And I, I never I never took it. I think I was too shy to ask. I just wanted to get on and do my job and be appreciated for doing my little bit and too scared. To, I guess you don't have the confidence as a young person to ask others how what are you doing over there how does that work you know second question that was more of a statement as it happened do you think there's such a thing as green fingers
0: um yes and no um people that seems to be successful in their guardian endeavors like we say they've got green fingers I believe it's really their mental attitude to the gardening and hence the plants teach them so they know intuitively what to do and so forth. Um Once you get into the garden you get past the uh, flurry of all the problems in your head and all those thoughts of whatever and, and they dissipate and you are there and you're receptive at that point. At that point, when you become receptive, the plants talk to you in, in such a way that you intuitively learn um, what to do. You see the insects on the plant. Okay, we've got to fix that because they're sucking goodness out of the plant and the plant's not very happy. Okay, so we um, do whatever's necessary to eradicate that problem from the plant. The plant's happy then because, you know, it's like you having a whole lot of um, bed bugs or uh, mosquitoes mm. or something sucking goodness out of your body. The same thing is applying to the plant. It's not very happy about the whole deal. Um, so you get rid of the problem and the plant's much more happier and uh, is very thankful to you for fixing the problem Because plants, if they're grown naturally, they will um, produce chemicals and so forth, which will deter those insect pests. And of course, plants communicate with each other. And and this is a Mm. scientifically known fact. Like, if you've Mm. got a forest of a particular tree, and the one's on the edge of the forest uh, get attacked by either insects or something, or disease, they will relay a message off to all the other trees to say, hey, you guys, I'm getting attacked, my God, it's, um, it, it's aphids this time. And they say, oh, well, good, okay, so we'll generate our anti-aphid material.
1: And that great?
0: <laughs> and, and how they communicate is underground through the microcyllium fungi, that connects us all the roots. So they have not the internet, they have the undernet. (laughs) Yes. And they communicate through that medium. And so all the trees in the forest uh, become aware there's a problem, they get ready, and because they are in nature, they are able to do so. Now, plants, veggie plants and so forth in the commercial garden have got no ability to do that. First of all, microcilium fungi is being co- killed by the chemicals, so there's no communication between each and another. They're alone. There are poor individual plants being forced to grow faster than they should do, and you end up with what you get in the supermarket.
1: That mycorrhizium fungi does do you have to inoculate your garden to have that or is it just enough to stay away from uh, chemicals
0: um it's naturally in the soil and okay if you
1: don't so if you get a good soil if you get a good soil with manure and earthworms you're there
0: yeah and then you can encourage it to grow by using a product we have called Microsyn. um and that is food for the soil life and the microcyllium fungi in the soil. There's other fungis like trichoderma, which are very effective in protecting plants, roots from diseases, et cetera. Um, there's a whole world out there that when allowed to be... Now, here's an interesting one. Some plants are very, very difficult to grow and establish, right? and the easy way to do it is you go and find a mature specimen of that plant growing somewhere and you take some soil from the root area of that plant and you take that home and you plant the little baby plant of that with that soil which has got the right mycorrhizal fungi etc mm. etc cetera, et cetera, and that plant mm. will thrive and grow so if you ever strike a plant that's hard to establish sometimes clematis is one of those
1: um, well, i'm going to do that with my beech trees because they rely a lot on a micro fungus and i thought i i actually was going to get the litter for when i had them in the pots but i'm actually thinking i'll do that now that i'm planting them out and um that's a great tip oh my goodness
0: yeah, so you go and get a mature specimen somewhere, find them, take some sort. You don't need much.
1: No, and you're just inoculating them, right, and they take it Yeah, off.
0: you're introducing the right thing, and then you encourage that by not a watering it with chlorinated water, not mm-hmm. using herbicides, and not using mm-hmm. chemical um, rescue sprays, whether they be fungicides or insecticides. Just use natural things
1: and so Wally since in your 20s you have been uh, you've turned your hobby into a business and yes. you have continued to learn your i have an observation to make because i resented gardening i just found it a fag and i'd stick a seed in the ground cover it pour some water on it forget about it and get annoyed when it didn't grow And my wife would always grow a few tomatoes or something. And then because of you, I've got into gardening and I'm having great success and better than my wife. Just don't say that out loud, right? Um, And I look at my wife's efforts and I'm a bit dismissive. Um, But what it is, is I've got interested and fascinated by it through you. And I actually feel, like you say, in tune with my plants. They have become like little babies to me. I do feel it. And if one of my one of my little potato plants um, didn't look very happy, and I was actually upset, and uh, it took some water and some MBL and it perked up. Because I didn't know it would be a pest or whatever, but it perked up, and I felt so much the better. But I'm in tune and enjoying my plants, and that has made me have green fingers. And oh. I do feel as though there is some communication because I can now spot very quickly the plants that need attention. I never could. Yeah, because yeah. I sort of i did. I was thinking about other things. Right, very interesting. And and um, when I'm in my garden now, I'm very conscious um, of my plants. And I often listen to the podcast or to RCR when I'm in the garden. I don't now because I sort of feel as though I'm in with the plants. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be distracted. It's the, a very, the, very interesting feeling.
0: The only other aspect, which I don't use, but... I do know it's very good, is that you have some nice, light, classical music playing, and the plants thrive on that. It's the vibrations yes. that they love. Isn't but, that funny? Um, so of course, you've got the situation, too, between humans. Like, Say, for instance, you and your wife are sitting down there watching TV at night, and you'll both say at the same time, let's have a cup of tea. Now, yeah. one mind generated the thought, the other mind picked the thought up, both said it at the same time telepathic right we are Mm. telepathic people and plants are telepathic and we communicate with each other but we don't kind of it's not like you get a message in your head it's just a feeling and then you say it
1: okay tell us about lawn because your latest email had a section on the lawn tell us about lawn and its importance and how to look after it and Lawn is actually quite hard. It's quite hard to establish a lawn, isn't
0: it? Yes and no. Um, First of all, years ago, um, when I was in Palmerston North, uh, I used to be asked to go and judge gardeners um, for local, like fielding, for instance. They they had their garden competition and people would enter and somebody like me or other people would go around, have a look at their gardens, so forth. Now, the interesting thing is I I used to see some beautiful gardens, lovely flowers, plants, all etc., but a scruffy lawn. And they got marked down. Then I'd go to another place and the lawn was fine. It was really good looking lawn, right? The gardens were, oh, not bad, but they were so much better because it had a good lawn. And the lawn is actually as a picture frame is through a picture, right? Mm. And that's the key to the whole thing. You have a nice picture, you have a nice picture frame, the whole thing is good. You have a scruffy picture with a beautiful frame, doesn't look too bad, or vice versa. You have a lovely picture with a stupid looking scruffy frame and it doesn't do anything for the picture, right? So most important, lawns. You can be very fastidious about lawns, and some people are. I I used to know a chap in Hamilton when I was there working, and he worked with me um, in the PNC, and he would actually cut his lawn with a pair of scissors he'd be down hands and knees cutting with a pair of scissors and any little weed that happened to be there he'd be pricking out and so forth out of his lawn and he had a lawn like a bowling green it was perfect 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 the key to a lawn is to have a very dense lawn right so you're overseeding so in the autumn particularly is a good time to do it, and it can be done again in the spring. You have a thing called scarifying. Now, scarifying is when you run either a scarifying rake, which is a sharp prong rake through the lawn, which scrapes up all the debris that is laying on the surface of the soil, right? If Mm -hmm. you allow that debris to um, get bigger and bigger, When you walk on your lawn, it's like walking on a spongy carpet. It's spongy. You can feel it, right? And that means there's a lot of um, rubbish, the debris and so forth, sitting on the soil. And that is bad for the grass. And it really is. Because when it rains, the debris collects the moisture, right? And it doesn't allow it to penetrate down so well into the soil. So the grasses roots it. come back up into the uh, Debris, and because that's where the water is. So it's getting that water. But when it dries out, of course, the grass is weak because the mm. roots have been mm. in that Debris, mm. which is dry, and so the grass is poorly. Um, you can get a machine, which is a scarifier and you run that through your lawn. Like a, it's like a lawnmower and it picks up untold. The easy way to dethatch your lawn is to use a product we have called Thatch Buster. Now, Thatch Buster is a little bit like microsin, except it's stronger and it's food to feed the microbes, which will break down the thatch. Mm. And the debris is called thatch. right? So you apply this to your lawn and you keep it a little bit moist with non-chlorinated water, of course. And within a month, an inch of thatch will go, be eaten up by, what's that, and converted to food for the grasses. Then you over-sow. So you've got your lawn, you get some good lawn seed, and you broadcast that over your uh, lawn when the soil is a bit on the moist side, and then you lightly water to wash it off the grass down into the uh, soil. And then um, if you've got a roller, you roll it, you press it into the soil, over the grass. That then will germinate and you'll get a thicker lawn. Now, once you've got a thick lawn, it means that weed seeds are very difficult to establish. So your Mm. lawn becomes virtually weed free, right? Cutting of the lawn. You never cut more than one third of the end of the grass at any one time. So if your grass is very tall, you have to do a few cuts to get it down low. Reason being is every time you cut the blades of grass, it will create more blades of grass, right? So by just taking the top off, one third, and then a few days later, another third, until you get it down to a lawn, which is probably, where's my little ruler, which I can't find, can I? So the height of your lawn should probably be no less than about 50 millimetres tall. Right?
1: It's two inches.
0: Right. So Two that's, inches, right? uh 50 millimeters, yeah. Yeah. Or, two or five centimeters. Yeah. Right. That's even tall. even sixty or seventy is a nice lawn. And if you're taking it down to like twenty millimeters, you're scalping your lawn. You're 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 weakening the grass. You're making a poor lawn. Feeding a lawn, you could just, go but and, just
1: before we rush on, a question for you, Wally. Um, there's all these different seed varieties out there. If in autumn or spring you de-thatch your lawn, you get it moist and you spread seed in there and then uh, roll it and wet it again, do you have to worry that you're getting the same grass that you originally had, same seed? Or can you put a different, you don't know, you just got grass and you think, oh, I need to buy some seed. Did, does it have to be the same seed?
0: Like you've got fescue, rye, and I don't uh, know what I've got. Um yeah. Well, the the aspect is different types of seed will do better in some things than others. Like there's uh, seeds which are more ideal for shady areas, sunny areas, uh, dry areas, etc. Um, so, dependent upon where it's going to be like under a tree. It's very hard for anything to grow underneath a tree because the tree robs everything. So you've got to get a um, a lawn seed that can compete with the tree in that shaded, barren area because the tree's robbed all the goodness. Um, so, and it depends. Most lawn seed is a mix of fescue and um, What's the name? Uh, rye. A rye is a, is a tough, tougher grass. Okay. A fescue is a weaker grass, but a nice grass, right? And I, I'm just trying to think of the name of the other one which they add into the formula. Um, <clears throat> and once again, it's your own preference to what you want that lawn to look like.
1: So if you go uh, along, if you go along and you explain. You know your site in terms of shade, moisture, and and where you are. A seed will be recommended, and or seeds, and then you choose. And then when you come to add that seed, and I hadn't appreciated this that you can dethatch, put more lawn seed into an existing lawn, and thicken it up. Yep, because it's a thick luxuriant luxuriant lawn that looks beautiful right
0: Mm, yeah it does and to get good seed ideally you go to a place like evans turf who supply the seed to uh green keepers who Mm. for golf courses cricket pitches uh, etc etc those guys they want the best of seed the problem arises lawn seed is only really good for one year after one year the germination rate falls off very quickly right so a lot of seed that is not sold happens to be um, sold cheaply to somebody else who is producing lawn seed which we won't name any people um which you might buy in a garden shop, um, which has got a lower germination rate and is now inferior seed. In fact, I remember one time, um, Consumer did a a check, this is some years ago, on lawn seeds and they got all the varieties of lawn seeds from the various companies that supply lawn seeds to garden centres. And in one packet, they found there was no lawn seed, there was only weed seeds. And that's, that's a fair thing. There's no lawn seed in the bloody packet. My that's God. Me.
1: Well, I tried to buy lawn seed from Evans on their webpage and gave up. And I was not kidding around. I had a big area to sow, and I went to PG Wrightson's. And um, so far, it's germinating. I thought I should have spoken to you more, but I don't know how you go getting it on the Evans webpage because they weren't helpful. Um, I could not figure it out Wally um, so you need to keep researching for us how to get good seed if okay. you're sowing a lawn too late for me now because I just did it but if you're sowing a lawn fresh so you've got a bare patch and you want to get a nice lawn down you got it nice and level you've got a nice soil how do you do it?
0: Okay um, well If you've prepared the ground... Now, here's a a most important thing which a lot of people don't realise. You prepare the soil, right? It's all nice and flat. It's ready to plant the seed, and they plant the seed wrong. Worst time that you could do it. You don't plant the seed. You treat it as if you had planted the seed. Because in that soil will be a whole lot of weed seeds. And if you throw your lawn seed out over the Bare area, it will germinate along with the weeds that germinate that are already there. So, what you do, you treat it as if you'd sown the lawn seed. You will keep it moist, get the weed seeds to germinate. And once they've germinated, you can cut them off and kill them, spray them with something, a herbicide if you want to, whatever. Best not to, because it will affect the grass later. And then, once you've done that, and waited for maybe a month, keeping it moist, getting the weed seeds to germinate, then when you sow your seed, you're going to have a clean slate. It's going to be just your lawn seed germinating, no weeds. Amazing. And if if you don't do that and the weeds come up with your grass seed, you cannot, other than get down on hands and knees and prick them out, you can't use a herbicide. like. Uh, turf fix or anything, because it will affect the young grass. The grass has to mature, and then it will handle a herbicide without unduly affecting it, Um, and then you can, uh, after six months, they say. So most important, um, you germinate the weeds, and then you sow your grass.
1: And when you sow your grass, you spread it on the soil, then what?
0: Okay, um, you can lightly rake to work it into the soil a bit. Your biggest problem, of course, is at that point in time, birds go, oh, my goodness, look at all that seed down there. Let's get in and have a feed. I
1: right? had that. I had that. I know right? what that feels like. I don't know where those bloody birds came from. Uh, I had birds. I reckon they came from the North Island down deep in my sea.
0: Right. Now, an actual fact. If you think about it, the worst time to sow seed is during the day when the birds are watching because they go, oh, look at that. He's putting a whole lot of food out for us. Oh, good, 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 <laughs> right? <laughs> so <laughs> you do it after they go to sleep so they mm-hmm. don't see you do it, right? It's the same with animals. You, if you've got a dog, you never garden in front of your dog because he'll come behind and, and he'll garden too and rip up all the things you've done if he's that type of dog. Right. So um, after I've gone to sleep at night, you go out and sow your lawn. Now, they're not going to see you do it and they're not going to know. Straight away, that there's lawn seed there. Now, to get around the problems of birds, you can put a cover over until the lawn uh, seed germinate or whatever, use a bird netting. Bit of a hassle. Instead, go down and buy some of those sheep $1 loaves of bread from the supermarket. You're sowing your lawn in the front, right? Put the bread out at the back. So the birds are going to get a Hmm. big feed of bread, you know, and that fresh bread, of course, fills their tummies up fairly quickly because it's all got yeast active, right? And they'll be so full they can't eat your grass.
1: That's a great idea. And you can get a you can get one of those two litre bottles of um empty coke bottles and fill it with water and put in the lawn.
0: Oh for dogs, I've, so the d- dogs, so Oh
1: uh, um, I was teasing you because we covered that off. That was for dogs, not birds. Oh, that's a great idea. And then um and it makes a difference if the birds don't see you, those pesky things are watching you.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, because it's their um, backyard, it's their environment, um, even though they do move around a a fair bit. But um, I I know it's even like my chickens. They're very observant. If you put something in their um, area which they've got free ranging in, They'll come over and inspect it, you know. After you've gone, they'll go over and check it out and have a wee look. What's this thing for? Why? Why, why is it here? You know, um, animals are very observant, more observant most than most. I people suppose I their know.
1: lives depend on it, don't they? They didn't. They didn't yeah. survive by not noticing food arriving. Um, for new listeners, you should explain non-chlorinated water for the lawn and garden, Wally, and well, a quick. quick ex- Quick explanation. Yeah,
0: all, all the councils have put chlorine in their water. Um, that chlorine is designed to kill microbes, bacteria so that you don't get a tummy bug. And, of course, when you use it in your garden, you're going to kill the vital microbes in the soil and the microcilium fungi because that's what it's supposed to do. So you very simply go to my website and you get yourself a housing filter, um, which you can snap on your tap and put your hose onto that. Tim, uh, micron carbon bonded filter removes the chlorine. And so your water is just about as good as rainwater then. And it's also very good to drink. Um, and then when you water your garden, you're not putting chlorine in to kill things. Mm, and good. the simple thing to understand this is if you have a nice wet spring everything comes away in the garden really great it looks good then as it dries out you get the hose out you start watering with chlorinated water black spot rust and things go backwards and then if you get a week of good rain everything comes back to life again and that is the key that these things microbes etc. They can have three or four generations in 24 hours. So they can re-establish very yes. quickly if yes. they're allowed to. Yes. And um, once they're established, your plants will
1: thrive. My goodness. Now, um Wally, a thing I hadn't heard about hitherto with you or from you and is in your latest email a product, Perk you're great with your names. Perfection. Mm. What is that?
0: Okay. Um, the reason it's called Perfection is because the commercial name of the product is called Perk. P E R K. Right. Mm. I didn't want to use that because what is Perk? So I made it uh, like Perfection, but Perk Fection. Right. Mm. And on the label it says Perfection for Roses. Why does it say perfection for roses? I learned a little secret many years ago from a garden centre owner. He said, if anything, any product has got full roses on it, we sell lots of it. I said, really? And he said, yeah, because so many people like roses. In fact, roses is the most grown plant in New Zealand.
1: I didn't I wouldn't have believed
0: that. Yeah. Lots of people have roses. Some people have hundreds of bloody roses, you know, paddocks full of them, right? But a lot of people will have one or two rose plants anyway, and and roses are a gift. Um, People, like, have a baby. Give them a rose or give them Mm. a fruit tree. Um, Mm. It's something that can be looked at for years and years to come as, oh, that was when uh, John got born. Right? Mm. As that rose and it's called Johnny's Delight or something. You try and get a name yes. <laughs> similar to uh whatever the event is. Um the next most popular plant grown in New Zealand is tomatoes. So roses first, tomatoes second. Well, and I'm big my,
1: I've I've gone big on tomatoes in my garden. I'm big <laughs> on tomatoes.
0: In my original book, those are the two things I wrote about first. The first chapters were roses and then tomatoes. You know your versa. market. Yeah. Um so uh, where were we? Where we're,
1: we're talking it? about perfection for roses. Oh yes.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that's why I called it for roses, right? It's actually not a fungicide, but originally the original product was registered and had a different name, and it was used as a fungicide on kiwi fruit right but because it's got an npk rating it could be sold as a um, fertilizer and fertilizers don't have to be registered so the company that owns um uh, perk they decided to to call it perk and sell it because it was so much cheaper because you don't have to pay the government anything to sell it right yeah it, what it is it stimulates the immune system of the plant and helps it overcome diseases or helps it prevent diseases, right? So in a sense, it's not a fungicide, but it acts like a fungicide. It builds up the health of the plant, right? It's particularly good for wet weather diseases such as phytophthora, botrytis, etc., root rots. Um and it can be used into the soil as a drench, but it's best used um, as a foliar spray over the foliage. It, it's uh, systemic, it goes through the whole plant very quickly. So you spray the foliage, it goes down to the roots, helps the roots regenerate if they've been rotting as a too wet a feet. And here's the point too a lot of people use mulches in their garden. And mulches are magic in the hot, dry summer to retain moisture in the soil, right? But once we get into autumn and we start to get rain, those mulches hold too much water in the soil. And as a result of that, people lose plants in the winter because the roots rot, because the soil can't breathe. The mulch has held too much water. So most important... Any mulches around, particularly citrus trees or any plants that don't like wet feet, you must remove in the autumn and put back uh, late spring going into summer when they are an advantage. Bit of a chore, but uh, it means your plants will survive.
1: So perfection isn't just for roses?
0: No, it's for any plants, veggies, um anything at all fruit trees etc it's very good for silver leaf okay now silver leaf is a disease that gets into the likes of roses or stone fruit um, particularly in winter uh, when somebody has pruned them and there's moisture in the air Uh, the disease enters the cuts and then you see the silvery leaf appear later on in the spring and the foliage It's a disease that in the past would kill uh, a rose or a fruit tree, right? Um, Normally, what we do is we cut off that branch that's got the silver leaf, um, and then we spray it with perfection. And as long as the disease is not too far advanced, it will save the plant.
1: Should we be using perfection as a prophylactic ahead of getting a disease or wait till we get the disease?
0: No. Um, in one of the formulas I have for roses, uh, I suggest that once a month, uh, the lighter uh, dilution rate, four mils per litre, is ideal to spray your rose during the season. So from the spring, once it leaf up, um, through to the autumn, and that will help uh, prevent black spots and stuff and now here's an interesting thing too which I've often thought about like we look at our roses or our plants and we look for perfection in other words no marks on the leaves no insects eating the leaves etc etc but if we go out into the native bush and we look at the plants growing there yeah they have these things on them, you know, black spots or they have rusts or they have insects eating them. Because it's part of nature. Only mm. us being fastidious, wanting perfect looking plants, worry about those things like black spot, etc. Which won't kill the plant. It just makes mm. it a bit unsightly. And if you don't like the sight of it, you'd pluck those leaves off and spray perfection or something and have all perfect leaves, yeah.
1: That it is perfection. So, uh, we're on Radley Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We're talking to Professor Sir Wally Richards, DSO and Bar, uh, about gardening, his journey. We've covered off his book. We've covered, oh, we covered off so much. Um, and in, in particular, I'm a big fan of Magic Botanic Liquid. I'm going to get off here and order the book. So, ahead of the rush for the 500. I'm going to order some micro... Microsin. And I'm going to, in autumn, look after my um, lawn. I know what to do now. And I'm going to go around a little beech forest with a wee plastic bag and pick up some dirt, some yeah. litter, and right. spread around the beech trees I've planted out to get the microorganisms going. Wally? You're a total treasure. I can't wait till next time we talk. It's all, it's, it's, I'd come in from gardening on a high and I discovered gardening through you. I was sort of starting to make tentative steps, but you really lifted my enthusiasm and my understanding and my knowledge. And when I've always finished talking to you, I always feel I want to rush out into the garden again and do some more Uh because it's, it's, it's such a wonderful thing, and, and and to be enjoying your veggies. And they do. They taste fresh. They taste nutritious. But they have that taste that you grew them yeah. uh, from a young plant. And I've just got some tomatoes coming, and we've had strawberries. And, gosh, you eat them, and they're just special because you grew them. Alone, right. Let alone yeah. the fact that they've grown and untainted soil grown naturally and they've been grown with love. So I thank you for that. Please uh, text us at 2057. Email us in box at radleycheck.radio. And, and if Wallet.
0: they want the book, if they want the book, yes, which going fast, they have to go to the mail order website, which is yes. www.0800 466 464, same as our phone number, .co.nz, They order online, then I will phone them up and I will sort out the uh, motor payment, credit card over the phone, etc. You can't pay for it online. So they can place the order and any of the other products at the same time.
1: Wally, we love you. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. And that's a great present for anyone that you're stuck for for Christmas. Wally Richards Gardening Book. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Wally. Talk soon.
0: Lovely. Thank
1: you. That was Wally Richards, Professor Guru Gardening. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, Rally Check Radio. Remember, send me a text, 2057 email inbox at rallycheck.radio What a wonderful man. Been gardening for well over 70 years and still loves it, still learning, still has enthusiasm and inspiration to us all. Loving what you're hearing? while well, the establishment hates it. And right now they're conjuring up new ways to try and censor
0: RCR. To ensure you never miss a beat of the hard-hitting news you've come to know and love, make sure you're on the RCR mailing list. Get connected now at
1: realitycheck.radio forward slash email.